we had a couple of large flight ticket booking websites and hotel booking websites, which slightly abused that feature. From what I understand, they were basically saying, we're going to tell you 23 people are looking at this room right now. But what they left out was the fact that these people could be looking at very different dates. Oh, come on. Hello, my name is Lauren D'Souza, and you're listening to Retain, the Customer Retention Podcast. More and more companies are wanting to focus on retaining customers, but what exactly are the powers of customer retention? And how are companies using it to keep their customers coming back for more? That's what we're here to find out. All right, welcome back, everybody. Our guest for today's episode is marketing expert, Will Lawrenson. Will is the CEO of Customers Who Click, a digital marketing agency that specializes in conversion rate optimization. With over a decade of experience in digital marketing, Will has helped numerous businesses improve their website conversion rates and increase their online revenue. Will is known for his analytical approach, his expertise in data-driven decision-making, and his highly rated podcast, Customers Who Click. Thanks for so much for joining us, Will. Hi, thanks for having me. Awesome. I'm excited to hear your insights and your thoughts today because it's always interesting that we bring on different kinds of guests, everyone with different perspectives, different experiences, different insights in this. And having your perspective from the digital marketing agency approach, I'm really excited today. So first things first, let's learn more about you. How did you even start in this whole industry and what got you to where you are today? The reason I'm here now doing what I do stems all the way back to pretty much my first job. For well, first career job, not you know, not before that. <laughs> I worked in startups. So the first, I don't know, it was like six, seven years probably were were in startups, and basically every startup had the same problem. So my role was just general marketing, as it is in a startup. You do a bit of everything, but what I found was what tended to happen, probably three companies in a row, was you're the marketing team go run your marketing campaigns and acquire customers. And that was it, right? And so inevitably, and of course, this happens more with startups because everything's new. We struggled with conversion rates. We struggled with retention. And it was always you know, the product or the platform that wasn't doing the job. And marketing can't fix that. So I was always pushing back saying, you know, we can spend all this money, of course, but we're going to drive that traffic and they're not going to do what we want them to do because it's not ready for it. So I started to move more and more towards the product teams in these jobs and working with them. So gathering all this customer feedback, gathering data and saying, this is the behavior our customers are showing. This is the behavior of the people who are not converting. We need to work on the product and our landing pages and our emails and everything to to get them over the line and moving forward. So that's kind of what got me into this whole CRO area, really. you know, At, at the time, I didn't even know about CRO. The discipline. I was just, I was running some A B tests. I was, you know, doing customer research. So I was doing all these things anyway, but just kind of out of frustration, really. <laughs> I never really had any interest in the other marketing channels or the other areas of marketing, apart from retention, which is what I did a lot. So I did a lot with email, SMS, direct mail, calling customers. That and CRO was my core pieces because it involved the actual engagement with customers, discussions with customers, you know, working on what they want, sticking a few adverts on Facebook and testing some creative just never really appealed to me. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, so November 19, just before the pandemic, went out on my own 
to start customers who click. And then here I am today, just working with e-commerce brands on conversion rate optimization. Actually, I've been hearing many more agencies popping up now that talk about conversion rate optimization, but it's definitely not as mainstream or widely adopted as SEO because you hear SEO everywhere. You hear digital marketing, but no one really talks about the specific of CRO. And so I feel like if you get in there early, you get it right. You start to build that brand awareness, that kind of stuff. That's really interesting because more and more those niche aspects of digital marketing are going to become or are becoming so important and so imperative to the entire business, whether they're a startup or a big business, right? It's such a big part of the retention process. And in terms of the customer retention process, obviously CRO plays a big part of that. With our podcast, we really focus on retention from all different aspects. But one thing I'm interested in learning more about is more about the beginning of the customer retention process. So we talk about all these different aspects. We talk about key drivers, key this, key that. But let's talk about the very beginning of the customer retention process. And I want to know from your perspective, with conversion rate optimization and the very beginning of that retention process, how big do you think a role is that email and SMS play in the beginning of that customer retention process? And how do you think about that for your clients? Interesting you put it like that. So I, I would put email and SMS as like the almost the second step or probably okay, third fair. step, I suppose. <laughs> but with the second step being the product, right? The, the product has to be good. If the product right. isn't good, you're not retaining anyone. Let's assume for the purpose of this, your product is good. It does the job that people want it to. I think retention starts before people have the product in their hands because you have to convert people for the right reason. Right. right? If I am absolutely convinced this product is going to solve the pain point I have or it's going to get me to the desired outcome that I want to get and the product does that for me, then great, I'm going to be happy, I'm going to retain. Right. I'm probably going to buy again or buy complementary products or, or whatever. Right. If I'm not seeing that desired outcome or something, and for some reason I still go ahead with that purchase, I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head. I suppose it's kind of a bad example because I do still subscribe, but I'm a subscriber <laughs> to Heights. I don't know if you know them. It's like a daily, a daily vitamin supplement thing. Gotcha. And I've been thinking recently, do I actually experience the benefits of it? I don't know. So I'm not, I'm not seeing that desired outcome. I might, I might be getting it. I don't know because it's obviously it's something that takes time. They say spend about 30 days on it before you, you really start seeing the benefits. So as it, because it, it kind of builds up, maybe I'm in the situation where I'm like, well, do I want to keep spending this money on something if I don't know whether it's helping me? Now, in, in this case, I'm thinking, well, what if I stop? Right. So I'm, I'm kind of almost retained out of fear. <laughs> that my life's going to get worse. That's one. That's cancel. one strategy, I suppose. <laughs> it's, it's one strategy, isn't it? But yeah, my, my my point is really if yeah, I really don't have another example off the top of my head. But if I am looking for a product, or if I get advertised a product, it's it's probably more when an advertisement is pushed to me on Facebook or something, and I think, oh, that's really cool. That'd be interesting. I have a look, and I go, yeah, okay, I'll try it out. I'm not. You can tell in that example. I'm not particularly excited about the product. I'm just going to place an order. Maybe I've got a decent welcome offer, which has helped de-risk it. I get that product. And you know, sometimes that product will just sit in a box for a while because I'm not, I, I don't actually care about it. It's, it's not solving a pain point for me. Yeah. And then even when I use it, or, or by the time I come to use it, I'm probably not going to be wowed because it's going to be so far from the purchase experience 
probably don't even remember why I bought it. Not going to be that bothered. I'm going to use it, go, eh, it was all right. And then I'm not going to retain. Right. So, um, everything starts off with, I mean, it starts with the ad really at the front, but you've got to get the conversion for the right reason. So you've, you've really got to answer everyone's questions, you know, really motivate them, excite them about this product so that they're sat there. Well, I've ordered something recently and I've checked my tracking page about, well, I probably check it once a day. And it's taken a little while, so that's getting a little bit annoying. But my point is, I'm actually I want this thing to turn up, and when it turns up, I'm gonna it's it's gonna get open straight away. But I know I've had other purchases where I've bought it from a, a Facebook ad or an Instagram ad, and those are the ones where they're m- much more likely to sit on the side because I was never really that committed in the first place. Right. I probably can't. I wouldn't be able be able to tell you the name of the brands. I think that's a great point, actually, because I think we get excited when there's conversion rate, but we don't think about what happens after. Meaning if it's a conversion rate, that's great. But is it the right conversion rate? Because that's the key to it being the customers being retained or not. And so I really like the way that you talk about this by getting it right as to converting these customers for the right reasons. Whether it's that someone who's looking for the tracking page every single day and excited for the product to arrive. Because I've been in the exact same position. I sometimes check the tracking page two times a day <laughs> if I'm really yeah. excited about the product. Just and want so to see if there's an update. The yeah, exactly. Yeah. I can bump up a conversion rate on a website, you know, half an hour if yeah. you really want me to. I could probably double the conversion rate of a lot of websites, but that's going to involve putting a massive discount up on the website. Probably offer, make sure I'm offering free returns, free shipping on all orders. That's going to throw your conversion rate through the roof, but it's going to give you a load of rubbish customers who are not right. very valuable. And I've, like I'm saying, you know, they've bought on like an impulse. They've been overly incentivized. They're not excited about that product. They've just bought it because they went, yeah, that looks like something I might like and it's dirt cheap and I can just send it back if I, if I don't want it. Yeah. So that's why you, you know, by really convincing customers they're buying the right thing and it's, it's going to, it's going to do that job for them. As long as the product then does, that's going to lead to much better retention rates afterwards. Right. And I'm sure personalization plays a huge role in this as well because Obviously, in this day and age, we have the data, we have the automation, we have whatever whatever it takes to be able to personalize a lot of the customer journey. So if we focus on this topic of the idea of getting the right conversion or making sure that you're really convincing customers who are more likely to buy and retain, not just buy and then churn, what is your view or what is your approach, I suppose, on making sure that you get to the right conversion rate and making sure that you're investing in the right things because I feel like that's an unknown thing to a lot of people because people are focused on conversion rate, but I'm really intrigued by this whole idea of right versus wrong so that you're really focusing on that first step to get to the retention, not to get to just converting. Yeah. So there's three key areas we focus on on the website. Uh, The first is usability, which is literally how does the website work? How easily can I find what I'm looking for and can I buy it? quite simply. So you can improve that with really good search experience, making sure your navigation is good, not using branded category terms. It's a key. That's okay. a big like pet peeve of mine. What's an example of that? So an example would be, I can't remember the exact names they used, but there was a, a PC website that I looked at uh, years ago when I was working with a, a PC custom PC builder. And you'd go into navigation and it's it's almost like collections, right? So they instead of saying 
it's this PC, this PC, this PC. They were using like, oh, this one's the power series. This is the fusion series. And this oh, is the rocket series. Okay. And you're there in the navigation going, I've got no idea which one of these I need to click. True. Like they all sound hyped. They all sound like yeah. powerful and stuff. So it's like, how am I supposed to determine what I want? So yeah, that's, that's what I mean by kind of branded navigation, which just, it just confuses customers. Just keep it simple. If all three of your categories are different PCs, then call it like the gaming PC or the beginner, the advanced, you know, find a way to just create a bit of differentiation. Yeah. Mini cut or, you know, the slide cart that comes up from the side when you, when you add to cart, that tends to work really well. And yeah. just making sure you've got faster payment methods tends to work really well. Now, obviously I should say, just test everything. Yeah. Don't just go <laughs> adding all these things to your website, but you know, <laughs> these are examples of use, usability. And then we've got anxiety. So these are the questions and concerns that a customer might have about your products and your brand. An example I always use is food, right? So if I'm looking at uh, like a meal kit or like a recipe box or pre-prepared meal that is delivered, there might be certain things that as a customer, I have to know in order to be able to make that purchase. Right. It's not a nice to know or anything like that. It's a have to know. So allergies, right? If I've got a peanut allergy, I have to be able to see whether A, allergens are listed. And if nuts is listed as, as an allergen, if there's an allergen section and nuts is on, not on, is not on there, fine. That tells me there's no nuts in it. I might check the ingredients as well. But if there is no allergen section at all, my assumption probably has to be there might be nuts in this. I can't buy it. Mm, okay. All right. So that's the food example. But, you know, even with things like picture frames. So I've seen some great ads earlier, which really work for me. <laughs> and these are, these are picture frames, which you basically stick to the wall, right? There's okay. no nails, nothing like that. Yeah. They, they use an adhesive, just an adhesive around the edge. It's stuff like that, which a lot of brands don't think about as a concern for customers. They don't think, oh, oh, like, do customers care how they're going to attach this to the wall? They probably make an assumption. They go, well, yeah, obviously it's a picture on the wall. You hang it up with a, with a nail. Easy. But there's other things where, you know, sometimes you can just stick things to walls and it makes mm-hmm. life a lot easier. You know, uh, in fact, yeah, the example related to that is if you are renting a property, it's highly likely you cannot put a nail in the wall yeah, because your landlord won't let you, which means any of these products which have to be nailed to the wall, you can't use. Yeah, But if they said, oh, but well, actually we, we can also supply an adhesive, like an easily removable adhesive, that anxiety has disappeared and you're like, oh, cool. That problem is dealt with. I could buy this based on that criteria. Also about the business. You know, I can check all the boxes for a product and I can say, yep, you know, I can stick it to the wall. It's the right size. It's the right color, all these sort of things. It's going to be delivered. Yeah. Another anxiety might be like free returns, things like that, or customer service. You're building some sort of like trust and credibility so that the customer feels at ease. You're dealing with all their objections at this stage, right? Any objection they have when they're saying, oh, it's the most perfect thing, but what happens if something's wrong with it? You go, don't worry, free returns, easy, dealt with. What happens if I need to contact the company? Yeah, phone numbers in the top, live chats in the bottom, right? People see that, done. But anxiety around the company is kind of, it's that free returns, is customer service easy to contact? Uh, And do I trust it? 
I, like I say, I, I can check off all those items off the list for the product itself. Right. But if I don't trust the business, you know, if there's no reviews for the business, if I can't see a customer service details, potentially if there's no free returns, that sort of thing, yeah. that's going to make me think, oh, I could buy it from you, but I could also buy it from one of these 10 other companies that I've got open in my tabs or probably Amazon. You know, there, there's options. And I think depending on the value of the products, that's, that obviously affects risk as well. Like for me, anything over about $100, I'd probably be thinking, yeah, okay, I need to be certain on this. For sure. Anything under $100, I'd probably be a bit more willing to take a risk. But then we come to uh, motivation, which is kind of the most important piece, really, because like I was saying, right, the anxieties are checklist items. Right. Right. You're ticking all the boxes off going, yeah, cool. I can ha- I can stick it to the wall. Right color, right size, glass front, brilliant, easy to insert my, my picture, whatever. But do I really want it? Right. That's the question a lot of people ask before they're going to get that credit card out. It's going to be, do I really want this? Is it really going to help me? And so that's where you motivation factors are around exciting customers, uh, getting them to feel like their life is going to be better when they have this product in their hands. Or in some cases, it might be your life is going to be worse or is yeah, going to keep getting worse. It. Depends on the products. And sometimes yeah, you've got to be a bit careful with that. But yeah, I mean, sometimes it's, can you afford not to? Not to like take insurance these is a great example there, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Insurance. So these are the motivating factors, right? It's it's you've got to convince someone that yeah, ticks all the boxes. It's the right product, but is it going to help them? Is it really going to do the job they want? And a lot of that is done through imagery, copy, and really focusing on the products themselves. Imagery is probably the best way. Well, also video, great way of just making people feel like this is going to be an insanely good product for them. And you get so much ability to be creative with that content as well. There's so much you can do with it. Yeah, I was going to say, I actually, we always talk about examples on the show. And one example that popped into my mind as you were talking actually about every single aspect of the usability, the anxiety and the motivation is actually a couple of weeks ago, I had just purchased a new carry-on suitcase from this brand called Monos and literally Every single aspect of what you just said, they checked all those boxes because even just now I was packing my carry-on and they literally thought of everything down to the last little detail. So the luggage cover, because obviously my anxiety is that I just spent all this money on a suitcase and I don't want it to get scuffed up or I don't want it to get ruined. So they provide you with the cover. They provide you with the scuff mark eraser. They add little notes everywhere throughout the product of this is not just an empty container. This is something so much more than that. It's a travel experience. It's this, it's that. So I even had fun packing the suitcase, as crazy as that sounds. Most people think of luggage as just a like a utility thing, right? Exactly. You just need it to take your stuff from one place to the other. But they're yeah. basically saying, no, no, this is something you want, right? It's part it's an of experience, your... actually. <laughs> you can almost go down the messaging of like, it's part of your brand, your personal brand, isn't it? You're probably going to pick a style of suitcase that you like. Yes. Right? And even when you're yeah. choosing the suitcase, you choose a style that fits you because I wanted the laptop cover, like the hard shell cover that has my laptop, even the color, like everything about the whole experience, even on the site, choosing everything, designing everything. And it felt like I was designing something for myself. And again, it's just a carry-on suitcase, but it's really part of everything because if I'm going on a work trip or a vacation, it feels nice to have that nice piece of luggage with me. So it literally ticked off every single box you just described. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's good. 
that's obviously a great example of a brand. I'm going to have to have a look at that website because that sounds, uh, <laughs> it sounds like they've done a pretty good job there. Yeah. What I've talked about already is the important, the really impactful side of, of motivation. There's a couple of other bits you can do. And a lot of brands get this wrong. There's uh, scarcity and urgency. Urgency might be if you order it within the next, what is it? It's, it's one past three. So if you order it within the next 59 minutes, you'll receive this tomorrow. Right. Right. Great. Amazon do that. Works really well. Works really well for other brands. Scarcity side is a bit more difficult because if you say, you know, there's only six of these left, it's got to be believable. Right. So if people have any reason to think, why would there only be six of these left? Then, you know, you're going to cause problems for yourself. I very rarely see, you know, where you get those little pop ups saying six other people are looking at this right now. Yeah. Very rarely have I seen that actually improve conversion. Interesting. Why is I, that? Because people don't believe it? I think people think it's a scammy. Yeah. It's, uh, I think people think it's before. fake. Yeah. I don't know if this was a, a more global thing, but we had a couple <laughs> of large ticket booking websites, oh, like so, okay. flight ticket booking website and hotel booking websites, which slightly abused that feature. Mm. And from what I understand, they were basically saying, we're going to tell you. 23 people are looking at this room right now. But what they left out was the fact that these people could be looking at very different dates. Oh, come on. <laughs> right. So you get the feeling. That's and, not fair. <laughs> and, and this is obviously, it's going to be really impactful because if someone books that room, that room is gone. Yeah. yeah. Right. Which means you might have to get a different room or more expensive room. So it makes yeah. you want to move on it. But with most e-com, if it says 12 other people are looking at like at this right now, it might maybe say, okay, you know, 12 other people, a bit of traffic to the website, you know, it's kind of proves that other people are interested, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's, it's not going to make me rush to buy it. It might be yeah. a little bit social proof, but it's not going to make me rush to buy it. Yeah. So you can get these right. You can get them wrong. One occasion where, where it was done wrong, my client had a, a timer in their checkout, which said, you know, once you get to the first page of checkout, it said, you know, great, you can hold your basket for 15 minutes. And it was terrible. Really? Removing that generated them, I think about $100,000 a month just That's by great. removing that. Yeah. Because wow. it didn't fit the audience. Okay. Right. You, you, you're not putting pressure on this audience, right? Okay, they, they were taking their time. You know, some of these people were taking six months to make a decision. They're right. spending... Yeah, I think the AOV was about $800. Some people spend a lot more. You're not rushing someone to make that decision. Yeah. And if they've got to check out, you know, they're in a pretty good spot. And again, I think that works well when there might be some scarcity, right? So if you're booking a ticket or booking a room, it's like, yeah, we're going to hold that for you, but we can only hold it for 15 minutes. But in an e-commerce website where you're saying your product's in stock, you know, we're happy to sell it. It's not going to do anything for, for people. And as it turned out, it was just putting people off. That's actually fair because I feel also if I'm buying something, if it's an average order value of 800 or more, it's more likely a luxury item or something that is a higher end experience. And the timer running out does not align with the brand of higher end experience or a luxury product. Because when I think of the timer running out, I think of actually buying movie tickets because here when you're in the checkout yeah. process... That makes sense to me because you're buying the movie for that evening or it's just a movie ticket. You might be booking certain seats. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So that's where it That works. makes sense to me, but I, I can understand, but that's really crazy that it increased 
their monthly spend or their monthly revenue so much. Revenues, yes. That is so interesting. Okay. And so with these three aspects, I'm also sure that the first impression that someone has on the website or the experience really, really matters. So I want to hear from your experience, how important is that? And are there any key factors that matter in that first impression? Okay. So first up, I'd say that first impression, it shouldn't be the homepage. If you're spending money to drive someone to a website, that traffic should not be landing on the homepage. It should either be landing on the product page or better, and this works for brands, not retailers so much, a landing page. Right. Right. Really dedicated landing page. If you've got a handful of SKUs, then this works really well because you can then, you can advertise to different audiences, send those audience to a landing page, which talks about the benefit of your product to that audience and then push them through the funnel. Outside of that though, if people do land on your homepage, what they need to be able to see is, am I in the right place? Right. So I've, I've Googled something, whatever it is, I've landed on your, on your website, on your homepage. Do you look like the sort of business that can help me with my Google search? If it looks off, then I'm going to go straight away. And the second thing is, can I easily then get to where I need to go? Let's say it's, it's clothing or jewelry. Let's say jewelry. If I've searched for, let's just say I've searched for men's jewelry specifically. If I land on a homepage and it's just pictures of women wearing jewelry all over it, I'm going to bounce immediately. Right. Right. Because my first impression is, oh, I've landed on a women's jewelry site. Yeah. Right. And then, so the second part of that's going to be, if I land on the homepage, what do I see immediately? If I want to buy something specific, let's say I want a, a ring or a necklace, can I see where I need to go to find those products? Right. Because if I can't, I'm just going to get a bit bored, a bit frustrated. There are dozens of other brands that sell those same products. I can go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it's something that a lot of brands forget when it comes to optimization and, and trying to stand out. Every brand likes to think their products are special. <laughs> and they can be, but not enough brands do the work to make sure the customer knows they're special. Yeah. You know, something else I say to people is, your product is the only product that does this thing if you're the only one who's actually talking about it. right? It can be whatever. Um, Let's say vacuum cleaners. If there was one vacuum cleaner in the world whose product page says, perfect for picking up animal and pet hair, right? then as far as you're concerned, that's the only only vacuum cleaner that's going to be good for that job. Mm -hmm. And it's going to really sell well if it advertises to that that audience. But if you don't say that, then you're just one of many hundreds of different hoovers, vacuum cleaners. And the same goes for other products, right? You know, jewelry, hundreds of jewelry brands. Yeah. You know, so, so many places where if I can't get to where I want to go, if I can't, you know, if I can't find the ring section of the website or, or the style of ring that I want, I'm just going to go. Yeah, um, you, you know, you've got, you've got a couple of minutes at best. You've probably got, it's probably less than that. You've probably got 30 seconds to That's get crazy. someone. <laughs> it's so true. To, just, not, not a purchase or not, maybe not even a product, but you've got about 30 seconds to convince someone that they're in the right place and you're going to have the product for them. They may keep browsing. You know, you might have different models of products and they want to look through them, whatever. But if within 30 seconds, that person is going, do you even sell this? They're gone. Yes. 30 it's seconds actually- is probably being generous as well. I was going to say, I even just thinking about my own consumption patterns, 
I probably look at the site for 10 seconds to decide if I am going to be interested in it or not. Because when you mentioned jewelry, I was actually thinking there was one line from this one brand that actually had me hooked in the first 10 seconds and have me continue to buy from them. And it's a brand called Mijuri. And they do obviously just like jewelry, but they do minimalistic jewelry, different items where I could buy it honestly anywhere else. I could probably get it for cheaper. I could probably get it for a different price, more discounts, this, that, whatever. But the one line that got me on their homepage when I first logged in the very first time was that it was affordable, everyday luxury. And I loved it. I don't know what was so catching about it, but it was in big, bold letters. And to me, that's exactly what I was looking for because I wanted something that was a little bit nicer, something that I could use for meetings, this, that, whatever. But that line got me so well that when I started browsing after seeing that, everything fit that branding in my mind. And it was easy to find the products. It was easy to find what I was looking for that fit the ideal of this everyday luxury look. And I've been a customer ever since. So you're so right that it's so important and you have such a small window to catch that customer. Yeah. And so same goes for landing pages then. You know, if if you are advertising landing pages for specific products, I I worked with a pillow company a little, (laughs) little while ago. So ergonomic pillow for help with neck and shoulder pain. Nice. We were talking about doing landing pages for sports, sports recovery, right? So the idea was we'd say, you know, use this pillow because it's going to help you recover from playing golf. Oh, I mean, that makes it sound like it's a magic pillow, but we're, we're trying <laughs> to say, you know, this it's going to help. It's going to help with your shoulders and stuff after you've been playing golf. So if I see that advert and it says, if you're a golf player, you know, you probably swing in your club right, 60, 70 times playing 18 holes. Mm-hmm. Probably wouldn't say that on an advert. See, this is why I don't do advertising. Um, <laughs> if you click through that and you just get a generic product page, you're going to go, oh, okay. Like, how does this help my shoulders when I'm playing? When Because I, I play golf. Worse, if that landing page looks like it's for a different audience, yeah. again, you're going to think, oh, actually, I don't know about this. But worse, <laughs> what might happen is the person goes, you've given me an idea there. I don't think your product does it because you're not telling me I that. Can find somewhere else. So I, I'm going to Google pillows for sports recovery mm, or something like that. Okay. And just just remind him actually, you get one chance to convert someone who is ready to buy. Right. You know, you can bring someone back multiple times to a website. That's fine. You know, sometimes the buying journey takes a little while, but you get one chance to convert them when they're ready to buy. If you don't take that chance, they're going to go buy somewhere else. And there's a very good chance they will never come back. The stakes are high. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. So I thank you for that. And just to end off the show, we have a little extra section that we always add on, which is my favorite part, which is called the lightning round. So three really okay. quick questions. We'll end on a piece of advice and that'll be it. So first question, which celebrity would you love to work with for a marketing campaign? And how would you market them? I suppose one person, and this is the geeky side of me. I have a hobby, Warhammer. You paint, yeah, you paint these little models and you play games with them. And Henry Cavill is a massive fan of it. And he is also, he's working on a project with Amazon to do TV shows and movies for, for Warhammer. Cool. So I don't know exactly what I do, but (laughs) being able to work with a celebrity. In that space, so on TV, movie, on something that we're both really passionate about would just be awesome, I think. Awesome. Okay, second question. 
do you honestly think the customer is always right? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> no, but <laughs> hopefully your I, customers aren't listening to this part. <laughs> I do think in their heads, the customer always thinks they are right. Okay. When someone comes with a complaint or whatever, in their heads, they are right. There is a mistake. You, the brand is messed up. They're in the right. And you've just got to carefully, carefully deal with the situation and get that person to be happy again. Great. I don't, yeah, I, I'm not on board with the whole, yeah, customer's always right. Just refund them, just replace yeah. the product, whatever. But yeah, I think it's really important to remember that even though some customers are really, really difficult about it, they think they are right or they think they've done nothing wrong. In your opinion, what is the most aesthetically pleasing brand? Uh, probably Apple. And actually, this came Strong into my mind. Movie. I'm not going to show my phone because it's a disgrace now. It came into my mind when you were talking about your luggage and how they yeah. gave you the um, the thing to remove marks. Yeah. The reason I don't have a case on my iPhone is because I spend like a thousand pounds on an iPhone that looks amazing. I don't want to stick a case on it. I want to see the iPhone. It lasted about five years. <laughs> and now it's very, very smashed. Um, <laughs> That will happen very, very quickly. Uh, I'm guessing the first smash obviously messed it up, but it just fell out of my pocket twice and now it's smashed front and back. Still perfectly usable, so I'm fine with it. But yeah, I would say we know their whole brand ethos is about like beautiful design, beautiful looking products that that look premium. They look luxury, at least in my opinion, I am Apple, but they've always looked so much better than anything Android. Honestly, I agree. I always like to end on a piece of advice or something motivating for our listeners to hear. So is there a piece of marketing or life advice that someone shared with you once that has always stayed with you? Network, 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 network. Find the people who are where you want to be and go speak to them. Um, Find out how they got there, what they do and what you need to, to do to get there. You know, there's always people willing to share, share advice share their thoughts. I'm doing it at the moment. So I'm booking in loads of chats with other agency owners and freelancers to find out, you know, what yes. what's happening with them, you know, how how they scaled their teams. Yeah. There's no reason not to reach out and just ask people for advice, right? You don't have to phrase it as ask, asking for help. It's yeah. asking for advice. No, that's so true. There's such a beauty in the fact that each and every one of us have something to share that's unique. Like every single person is different. We can always learn from someone's experience in some way. So why not make the most of that and make a new friend yeah. along the way, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. All right. Well, with that, we'll bring the show to an end. And thank you again so much for joining us today. It was such an interesting conversation. And I look forward to seeing the growth of your agency. Awesome, right? Thanks so much for having me. Retain the Customer Retention Podcast is brought to you by Gameball. To find out how you can turn visitors and occasional buyers into loyal, lifetime customers, head to Gameball.co. Make sure to subscribe to Retain the Customer Retention Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you never miss an episode. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next time.